It is two days from the Super Bowl. Welcome everyone to Run Past the Brain Cell. I'm Adam Skirko, as always, joined by my co-host Jake Miller. And Jake, let's get it out of the way because you sound a little different. And would you like to explain why? So pretty much I'm on vacation with the fam right now. And obviously I can't bring a full gaming setup or a full recording setup with me on a, on a plane. So doing it through my phone so it's gonna sound a little bit different compared to what it usually does but hopefully it's still fairly audible but you might hear a little less or a little more depending on what happens but it's okay because there is this thing on phones and computers it's called the volume control i highly recommend using it i definitely do but jake you do sound clear which is all that matters doubt there will be any audio issues too too bad but Jake, like I said, we are two days away from the Super Bowl against Kansas City and San Francisco. We know all the stories with them. But before we get a little bit more in depth on that, we did a little bit last week. But before we fully dive into what we think is going to happen, let's talk about NFL honors. And Jake, it was kind of a predictable NFL honors, to be honest, I think the only real surprise was Joe Flacco winning comeback player of the year. What do you think about that? You know, I understand it, but comeback player of the year is kind of like one of the most perception based awards in the honors program. And I mean, I thought it should have went to Baker Mayfield for resurrecting his career. Or Damar Hamlin for literally, for literally almost dying on the field from cardiac arrest and coming back and still playing for the Bills. And not just end up retiring because he was like, alright, fuck this. I'm going to focus on my health and go from there. I mean, yeah. I was very shocked by it. Especially because the fact that this sort of started bubbling, what, week 15, 16, that Flacco might win Comeback Player of the Year, when, to be honest, I don't think anyone really thought that he should, because, again, DeMar Hamlin almost died on the fucking football field. And the fact that that man was able to even walk, able to come back and play, I don't care the fact that he was inactive for 12 games, he still played. That alone... Is shocking. Jake, I think about, you remember, we loved this guy. You remember what happened with Ryan Shazier? He had to retire yeah. after a hit because, if I remember right, because of his spine. And we, he was electric, absolute amazing linebacker, and his career was cut short. This man's life was almost cut short. And so I understand where people are coming from with Joe Flacco, but if you think about comeback player of the year, DeMar Hamlin came back from almost dying. What Joe Flacco come back from? Being unemployed? Being on the couch. <laughs> like, it, I just, I don't get it on that one. I, It just doesn't make any sense to me. But Jake, of course, we got to talk about MVP. Lamar Jackson won his second, and it almost was unanimous again 49 of the 51st place votes the other first place vote went to josh allen i roll my eyes with that because that to me just seems like a salty voter who couldn't stand the fact that lamar was getting mvp and so the fact that he was just like well he can't be a second unanimous and so they gave a vote to josh allen who had what like 23 24 turnovers i mean Something jake like we <laughs> we clowned james winston when he went 30 for 30 and he also had six fumbles so 30 touchdowns 36 turnovers congrats josh allen on having you know 50 touchdowns i think combined regular season 42. and postseason 42 42 regular eight posts so yeah yeah congrats on that but you still turn the ball over entirely too much i don't know jake i i just thought this was a silly i i it it's a nothing story really but it just seemed really silly to me 
if Favre had legs, you'd have Josh Allen. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And then, Jake, I guess the other thing that I wanted to bring up, I mean, we can real quick touch on this as well. Uh, Coach of the Year, Kevin Stefanski won his second. I don't really mind this vote. I understand that, you know, Stefanski did have four quarterbacks. Personally, I would have given it to D'Amico Ryans, who just barely lost it 21 to 20 in first place votes. I would have given it to D'Amico just because of the fact that, to me, rookie quarterback, rookie head coach doesn't really go together and they won their division and won a playoff game. And Cleveland, I understand their injuries. They were still favored to make the playoffs at the beginning of the year. So I don't really look at it as like a crazy surprise that they still made the playoffs. Now, the way they made the playoffs, little different. And I mean, you lose Nick Chubb as well. Week two, it, it's brutal. But I don't know. I thought D'Amico definitely was going to win this, but I understand why Stefanski ended up winning his second. Oh, agreed. And I think you can make a, a very good case for either one of them because Stefanski did a hell of a job dealing with the injuries, especially at the quarterback position, with all he had to deal with. And they still made the playoffs. I mean, sure, they got bounced as soon as they got in there, but the awards only matters for regular season, not the postseason. D'Amico had a hell of a year. He coached that defense up. He and, him and Bobby Slowick did great work with that with that offense and with C.J. Stroud being a rookie. So I think voters were very twisted on what they wanted to do. Why you saw it was completely tied point-wise, so they literally had to go to the second denominator, which was who got the most first-place votes, and it was by one. So the voters were th couldn't make up their minds either way. It, it was just a one-vote difference. That was it. Exactly. Now, I do think that there is a part of me that does wish that these votes were done after the divisional round of the playoffs. I've always thought that the idea of doing it right after the regular season was a little silly because of the fact that, I don't know, to me, I've always thought that postseason should matter at least somewhat with some of these votes. Because, let's be honest, Jake, if we were voting after the conference championship game, would Lamar Jackson really be getting MVP? No. And to me, I did think that if you know you push it back even one week with the wild card, you remember D'Amico was the coach of the team that bounced Stefanski's team in the playoffs by a large margin, might I add. And so I do think yep. that would have probably swayed voters to D'Amico had that been a thing. But, I mean, to be honest, it it's one of those things that now all the pressure's on Deshaun Watson when he returns. You have a head coach who is now a two-time coach of the year. You still got Amari Cooper there, I think. You're yeah, gonna have a front office that can draft very well. Exactly. And Nick Chubb is gonna be coming off an injury and I they're he's not going anywhere. Oh, I just you also can't forget about Jim Schwartz leading that defense, and he led that defense to be fucking gruesome. Including defensive player of the year, Miles Garrett. And mm -hmm. yeah, like you said, Jim Schwartz also was assistant coach of the year, which I mean, Jim Schwartz has been a phenomenal DC pretty much wherever he goes I mean you think about Cleveland you see, think about what he had done as well with the Eagles the Eagles he was fantastic and then the Texans also swept offensive and defensive rookie of the year CJ Stroud winning offensive you and I both believe that Puka Nakua probably should have won that but quarterback quarterback award pretty much that's what i'm to notice with a lot of these offensive uh rookie of the year and mvp jake they might as well just call them offensive or rookie quarterback of the year and then quarterback of the year for mvp or mvq most valuable quarterback 
because that's basically what they come down to. And then defensive rookie of the year, Will Anderson, which I was very surprised the fact that he beat out Jalen Carter. But Jake, I was also surprised surprised by this. Rams defensive tackle Kobe Turner had 14 first place votes, which shocks me because a lot of people talked about Devin Witherspoon being a contender for this. He wasn't even close. Mm-hmm. It, first, he's a cornerback and defensive backs almost get no love compared to pass rushers and linebackers. Except last year when yeah. you had Sauce Gardner narrowly beak out Tariq Woolen. Jake, I swear, I think these voters just don't like Seattle. <laughs> I, I, I don't think these voters that. like Seattle considering the fact that last year they had, they arguably should have won Offensive Rookie and Defensive Rookie of the Year with Tariq Woolen and Kenneth Walker, but the Jets ended up winning both of those, ironically with the same positions. And then... Devin Witherspoon, not even a contender for Defensive Rookie of the Year, even though he was considered to be a front runner at least at some point in the season. Yeah, this is just... Yeah, I don't think the voters like Seattle. And then, Jake, real quick, let's... Or go ahead, go ahead. So, since you mentioned... So, I actually saw something that like said it best. Jalen Carter, first half of the season, played very good. Then second half, he hit that rookie wall. First half of the season for Will Anderson. He wasn't hot, but he was getting warmed up in the NFL as a rookie. Second half, he played out of his fucking mind. His pressure rate and his win for his, his pass rush win rate was off the charts. He was getting freaking pass rush win rates up there with the elites like Garrett. TJ Watt, Donald, all those big guys. And he was like top five for double teams in the NFL. If not close, top three. So I think Will Anderson deserved it. If Jalen Carter actually kept it hot with that second half of the season, it would have been a lot closer. I think, yeah, that's a fair, that's a pretty fair assessment. And then Jake, real quick, let's highlight the Pro Football Hall of Fame class. Uh, Dwight Freeney, Devin Hester, Andre Johnson, Julius Peppers, Patrick Willis, and then the two senior uh, inductees, Randy Gratishar and Steve Mongo McMichael. Jake, I think my favorite, who who is your favorite player that was, that has now reached football heaven in this class? Who, who, who is your highlighted player? My highlighted player is, in my opinion, probably Devin Hester because everybody was sh- I've seen people shit on him saying like he wasn't even a full down player he wasn't good enough to be a full down player and to that extent yes that is there is some truth to that but when you infect the game where you can literally put either the ball for your offense on the 50 yard line or just get a straight up touchdown you're a weapon in your own right. That's why you could even make a case that someone like Cordell Patterson, if he gets a couple more kickoff or punt returns, fuck, maybe he could be a Hall of Famer. I think that there's definitely a real possibility that he can. I mean, he does hold the record for the most kickoff return touchdowns. I think he broke the record that he had that he had shared with Josh Cribbs. And Jake... I do agree with this. To me, Devin Hester is absolutely a Hall of Famer because when I think about a Hall of Famer, I've always thought if you can't, if you took a player, Jake, and you just took him out of the league, could you tell the story of the league without him? And to me, you can't without Devin Hester. One of the biggest moments in a Super Bowl ever was Bears Colts, him taking the opening kickoff for a touchdown, something that has still to this day never happened in any other Super Bowl. But Jake, I also want to highlight Julius Peppers. I mean, there's not a whole lot you can say about Julius Peppers other than he was the biggest, one of the biggest freak athletes that has ever played this game. Jake, he's one of the only, he is the only player to have, I believe it's at least 
150 sacks, and 10 interceptions. Not to mention, Jake, four of those were uh, returned for touchdowns. Julius Peppers, I mean, the man was 6'7", and he basically could move around like a basketball player on the field. He just... I mean, you're, you know, your Packers had him. They moved him to linebacker, and trying to throw the ball over him was damn near impossible. And even yep. in his 14th year, when he was with your Packers, he still made the Pro Bowl, which just spoke to the kind of player that he really was. He's fourth all-time in sacks. I don't know how, with, I believe it's 159 and a half, which is just, an astronomical number to think about when you think about, you know, Bruce Smith has 200. And yet Julius Peppers Y has 198. Yep. And Kevin Green has 160. Yep, and Kevin Green. One more sack, you would be third all time. Yeah, I don't remember who his last game was against, but I know that he damned he tried his damnedest to get that yep. sack. But yeah, Jake, moving on, you there was something else you wanted to talk about, I believe, with the Super Bowl before we get deeper into it. Yes, so I wanted to bring up uh, the X-Factors, whether it be a unprecedented player not so many people know about or one of the superstars on each of the teams, whether it be offense, defense, special teams, doesn't matter. I think that every team has their big guys and their small guys. And sometimes those small guys come out to play with and be a big guy and vice versa. So I'll let you pick your chiefs X factor first, then I will do my chiefs. All right. So Jake, my chiefs X factor is actually going to be on the defensive side and it's luxurious Sneed. And the reason why I'm picking luxurious Sneed, Jake is because in the regular season and the postseason, he has given up one total touchdown. Not to mention, Jake, players, quarterbacks that have thrown his way have a passer rating of 65 and have a 52% completion percentage. When I look at these receivers for San Fran, I think Sneed will probably travel with Ayuk over Debo because... The Niners run more motion than almost anyone. It's them and the Dolphins as far as the amount of motion they run. And I think Debo is their main motion man. So he's not going to be in one place the entire time. And so with the Chiefs' man-heavy scheme, now they can play zone, but Steve Spagnolo likes his corners on an island. He likes to blitz. And so that means a lot of man coverage. And that's where Snead excels. I think you'll see him more on Ayuk because Ayuk will probably be in motion a lot less than Debo Samuel. And if Snead has a good game on his side, Trent McDuffie's a solid corner. Jake, I don't know where Purdy's going to be able to throw the ball outside of maybe George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey if Snead has a good play or has a good day. But who is your Chiefs X Factor? Mine's on defense as well, and he's not as big of a player as Legereus because I would consider him damn near one of the superstars for that team. But mine is George Karloftis on the defensive line. I think you're still going to see Chris Jones get his money's worth out of his pass rush, but he's going to be double teamed almost constantly. Whether he's lined up as that penetrating three-tech as the DT, going through the B or the A gap, or he's going to be facing your right tackle, which is Colton McKivitz, and McKivitz really doesn't stand a snowball's chance in hell because his predecessor um, didn't stand a snowball's chance in hell, and he got a big payday from the Broncos last season. But I think you're going to see Karloftis either go with McKivitz or going to be on Trent. If I wanted to do it right, I would have Chris kind of stay lined up as that penetrating three-tech while you have Karloftis on that right side going against McKivitz, so you can have both your pass rush guys just eat the ever-living shit out of that right side of the line, which is the 49ers' weaker side. 
anything besides Jake or, or anything besides Trent Williams is going to be that weak side. So put your best players in positions to win and affect the quarterback as much as possible. Exactly. And so, Jake, what I'm going to be very, very curious about with that pass rush is Trent Williams is basically a brick wall on that side. You're not going to get too much pressure over on that left side, but the right side of that line for San Fran has been very, very susceptible. I do think that you'll see Karloftis primarily on that right side, and he's going to be hunting. Now, Jake, for my San Francisco 49ers X-Factor, this is one that when I was thinking about like players that could make a huge impact on the game, this guy actually was one of the first people that popped up in my head, and that's Jake Moody. Because it's really, if this game ends up being a really good game, a really close game, Jake, then what I would be very worried about is can Jake Moody exercise some of the demons that he has had and be able to make big kicks? Because when I think about this, Jake, in the regular season, he was 21 to 25, which doesn't seem all that bad. But he did have games where, against the Browns, one for three. Vikings, one for two. He had an 0 for game against the Rams in the last game of the year. And then in the playoffs, Jake, he's only three for five. So he has some, some yips. I think that if he is not able to be consistent with his kicking, I know he's a rookie, but it's one of those things that Kickers, when they're south, usually stay there, and it seems like he's starting to trend south. And so, to me, I think that's going to be a big X factor if this game ends up being a nip-tuck ball game. So, first, I love that you picked a kicker, and you are totally right. Moody can definitely affect this game, even if, it, even if it's just a mixed extra point. That could be the ball game to decide it. Mine, I was tossed up between two so hard. The runner-up for me was Jair Brown, their rookie safety, who's been playing pretty good because if you don't have Fred Warner lined up as the main guy to cover Kelsey, you're going to have Jair on Kelsey. And I think Jair's a good safety, but he, but Travis has made all pros look like freaking rookies this year and his entire career. So I ultimately ended up going with Jawan Jennings, their third or fourth receiver on the depth chart. Third. I don't really know. Third, yeah. Solely because of his run-blocking ability. We all know Trent McDuffie is a very physical corner. Spags loves to have him blitz or stop the run. Jawan is not going to let that happen. Juwan is going to do his damnedest to make sure whoever is lined up against him in the passing game or the run game, they are going to be on their ass or on the bleachers, like what happens against one of my Packers. So, no kidding. That's what I see being the X factor is I think that Purdy's going to do quite good, but obviously CMC is one of your main focal points because you do have a Shanahan system, and the Shanahan system is based off the run game. So with that run game going, and you're neutralizing one guy right out the gate because who Juwan is as a blocker, I think that's going to earn him. He's Even if he's never going to get a, more than 50 catches in a season, he will make his living off of his blocking ability. And it's that blocking ability that makes him my MVP for the 49ers. I understand that completely, Jake. He actually was one of the other people I was thinking for the Niners. He was actually my other pick for my X Factor. And Jake, think about this. He only had one catch against the Lions a couple weeks ago, but that was that one-handed spike that he caught that... Purdy just kind of threw up and prayed on third down 
which very easily could have been intercepted. Juwan Jennings is one of these players that he's never going to be a star wide receiver. Jake, he doesn't even have a thousand yards in his career. But like you said, his blocking is invaluable. He's 6'3", 212. He's extremely chippy as well. We're talking about a guy who definitely is in danger of getting some unsportsmanlike conduct penalties often because he will be that sort of antagonistic, obnoxious player that gets on the defense's nerves. Similar to sort of, to use a uh, NBA player, Jake, he's essentially the Patrick Beverly of the 49ers where he's not going to be he's not going to be considered a stud but he's annoying he's a pest and that's the best thing that he can be on this team especially when you have the litany of talent that they have you need a guy who's basically going to be think about it this way this is how i would also describe it jake Jawan Jennings gets into a fight with someone during the Super Bowl and they both get thrown out. Depending on who it is for the Chiefs, it really doesn't matter because Jawan Jennings, yeah, he gets thrown out. They'll just go to two tight end sets with Ross Dwelly. And then the Chiefs, whoever player gets thrown out, what if it's Nick Bolton? Chiefs don't have that good of linebackers to be able to lose Nick Bolton. That's sort of what I look at when I think of Jawan Jennings is just a perfect enforcer, a gritty blocker. He'll make timely catches when you need him. I mean, Jake, against your Packers, he had five catches for 61 yards, which to me, that also I thought was pretty indicative of how useful he can be. Because if Debo goes out, Jake, then he's thrust into that role. So I'm curious to see I don't like wishing injury on anyone, but you do have to always worry about that with the 49ers. They are an older team. They will get nicked up. But Jake, moving on to the more in-depth version of our Super Bowl preview. Well, I guess in-depth is not the greatest word for it in that we sort of did that last week, but it's sort of an idea of what you and I are really, really, really going to be looking at. And I think for me, Jake, I guess here's what I want to know. Here's what I want to know, Jake. With this game, what would you say is going to, how do you think the game is going to go? That's what I want to know. I think there's going to be points scored. It's not going to be like a shootout because both these defenses and defensive coordinators are too good to allow a shootout. So I expect it to be like maybe 40 to 45 points total. And I expect it to be a, like whoever gets like that one turnover or the one stop is going to win the game. Because it's kind of like, who, which pass rush can get the fumble, or what linebacker or or defensive back can get the pick. That's kind of where I see it. Is it's going to be a slugfest for every yard. I do agree with that. And Jake, the under for this game, the over under is actually forty seven and a half. So you would be hitting the under. I actually would be as well. To be honest with you, Jake, I think this could be a 27 to 20 type game. That's sort of the number that's been sticking in my head because I just don't know if either team we've seen the 49ers be able to blow teams out, but I don't think that they could blow out the Chiefs with the defense that they have. And I think when it comes to here, I think there, we're going to see a lot more yards than we are going to see points scored especially with the fact that you have explosive players like Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and then you also have Isaiah Pacheco, Travis Kelsey, which, speaking of, Jake, we do not... Isaiah Pacheco has not been giving getting enough love heading into this Super Bowl because 
I think that he could be the entire he could be the entire game changer of the whole out of both teams because his ability to run the football, not go down on the first contact and just be able to fight for those extra tough, gritty yards. I think that if I'm looking at the game script, I think Pacheco is going to get a lot of touches. I'm going to say this right now, Jake. I wouldn't be surprised if he got close to 30 carries because I think with this game not going to be a necessarily blowout either way, I think what we're going to be able to see is Kansas City, they're going to try and keep the 49ers on the sideline. Same with the 49ers to the Chiefs because I don't think either team wants to let the other team be able to operate an offense. So it's going to be all about stealing possessions. I think that Christian McCaffrey and Isaiah Pacheco, I don't know what their combined rushing yards would be, but I would probably put it close to 225 if it was me, because I think that it's going to be more of a run game, run oriented Super Bowl rather than Purdy and Mahomes fireworks. I could totally agree with that and another thing you've mentioned the 30 carries or 30 touches I can honestly see that being the situation because Jarek McKinnon their pass catching extraordinaire is going to be out this game so you're down your natural third down back so Pacheco's just going to have to be the all down back in this game yeah exactly now Jake I do think that we have to highlight this. So the Super Bowl has some really, really fun bets. You know, you have your prop bets over under like Purdy passing yards over under, you know, rushing yards for McCaffrey or Pacheco. The Super Bowl always has some very, very interesting prop bets. One of them being you can bet on the coin toss. So Jake, we're, we're not putting too many bets on here, but just for a little bit of fun, let's go through a couple of these prop bets. What do you think the coin toss is going to land on, heads or tails? Uh, Probably just going to land face up and say, fuck all of you, P pick a side. <laughs> I, I would love if one of these times the coin would land on its side. But Jake, I would actually say tails just because the fact that I've always had a feeling that for some reason with football games tails pops up more often than not even though it's supposed to be 50 50 yet whenever i flip a coin it's almost always heads and so i do think that's yep. kind of funny but jake <laughs> here's another prop bet that's i'm laughing about reba mcintyre's time singing the national anthem how long will the national anthem go for over under 89 and a half seconds Ooh. i think it's gonna depend on because reba can obviously do she can probably do a two minute um one if she wanted to i think it's gonna depend on like how much pizzazz and like fireworks the nfl wants to put into the national anthem and how many jets they want to have fly over. Well, so here's the thing, Jake. So looking at the information for this prop bet. So if Reba finishes the anthem in under a minute 30, it would be the shortest time since 1998 when Jewel sang the national anthem. And even though Reba's never reached 90 seconds in performances of the national anthem, she's also never had the, this opportunity of this big of an audience so i wouldn't rule it out the fact that it could actually go over especially because like you said we don't know how many jets there are going to be all right and i'm gonna have a little bit of fun with this one so jake taylor swift obviously she's been getting a ton of attention since she started dating travis kelsey and here's another one there are multiple Taylor Swift prop bets. One of them is, will she be shown during the Star Spangled Banner? And currently, she is minus 130 to not be shown. 
But here's the other thing. You can she's also minus 135 to be shown before Jason Kelsey during the anthem if she does show up. Which I think is kind of hilarious because of the fact that Jason Kelsey's at plus 120, which also for those who don't know, if you bet 100, you'd win 120 plus your money back. So that's why I mean, what do you what do you think about that one, Jake? I think Vegas is having way too much fun stealing money from idiots. Well, considering you can also bet on her outfit color and the amount of time she's shown during the Super Bowl. Yeah, I would say this is uh, definitely one of the funniest ones. I mean, the, I guess the other one that I forgot to mention because I just didn't really care. But um, Usher... The duration of the Super Bowl halftime show is also something you can bet on. But to be honest, I just don't really care. Um, I'll be honest. I think this is going to be one of the few Super Bowl halftime shows that I'm just not paying attention, mainly because of the fact that I'm going to be at a Super Bowl party and we'll probably we'll probably be either eating during that time or we're going to be We'll probably be out by a fire pit because even though it's warming up over here, it is still a little cold. So I want to run a thing. If the I want to run a quick like question by you for the about a halftime show. Okay. Imagine if they did a like a one of the biggest K-pop groups. For so BTS, Blackpink. Twice. Yeah, so let's go with BTS, since they're probably the most well-known. So We're, we're treading into you... very dangerous waters, because we you know that the K-pop stands are... The, 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 the fans are great. The stands are lunatics. They're lunatics. I'm sorry, no, K-pop fans, but you guys are a little much sometimes. I, I actually think a BTS Super Bowl would be cool, because... Even if they don't sing in English, some just sing in Korean because some of their songs I can't even understand a word of it are freaking good as hell. Oh, I, so, I, I would love. I it. think it'd be so, great. So I, you make a valid point with it, and I just want to preface this: I love the groups. The fans are usually it. K-pop is sort of like the Cowboys. I don't hate the Cowboys, but I do hate the fans. But when it comes to an idea of a K-pop halftime show. I think when you think about also halftime shows, Jake, they have always had glitz, glamour. It's always gran granuous splendor. I think that fits perfectly with a BTS or Blackpink or Twice to be able to really showcase what their talent, you know, showcase their talent. And I think it would be a massive boost for the NFL if they were able to bring in a bigger K-pop group because what that then allows you to do is it gets international eyes, similar to what it is with Taylor Swift. Call it what you want about them showing Taylor Swift a lot, Jake. They, I, If I remember right, the average time that Taylor Swift has been on since she's been attending games has been like, I think in total has been like 25 seconds. And so I, the idea that she's been shown a ton, like an exorbitant amount, it really isn't the case. There have been maybe two games where we've seen her for like a minute throughout the entire game, which come on a minute through an entire about three hours worth of a game. Let's simmer down people. But I do think that, when you think about the economic impact of what Taylor Swift has brought the NFL, she's brought in, I think they said like $300 million since she I started. $310-$320 million roughly in, of just pure profit of what she's brought into the NFL. Yeah, just for showing up to games. And so because of that, I think if you were able to bring in a bigger K-pop group, you would also get even more international eyes. And I'm going to say this right now, Jake. I don't think it's going to happen this year because we already have a bunch of international games happening. You know, we have one in Brazil or yeah, we or no, 
Is it Brazil? Uh, I believe it is Brazil. Yeah, there's one in Brazil. There's one in Spain, I believe. And then there's also going to be the one that's typically in Mexico. I think this year it's going to be Estadio Azteca this time around. And then you have your London games and your Germany games. Also, Jake, I do find it funny that the Eagles are going to be playing, I believe, in Brazil Labor Day, like the Friday of Labor Day weekend. So they are going to get nine days off. I'm curious as to who they will play. Because if I'm if I'm the Eagles, I think they're actually going to be the home team technically for that game, which is brutal, but it depends on what revenue you're getting. But exactly. I do think, Jake, that next year, not this upcoming year, but the year after, I would keep your eye on them trying to get a game in Korea, in South Korea. I would not be shocked by it. Because if you notice, they keep moving a little bit more into Europe. I don't think... Actually, I have a question to post to you, Jay. Okay. So, there have been talks a lot about... If you remember, for a long time, we thought Jacksonville was going to be moved to London before they got Trevor Lawrence. There were real talks that they were going to be relocated to London... Do you think that's still a possibility? Because I know Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, he's very adamant about staying in Duval County. But if they're able to make more money going to London, keep in mind, the Jags go to London every single year. Why wouldn't you? I... I think from an economical standpoint, it would work, but the thing you have to worry about is the travel costs and how it affects your team going over to the States a day early and vice versa for teams going overseas as well, because there's going to be jet lag. They're going to have to leave a day early, so it's a day they less that they're going to have to rest. So... If and the NFL is all about money, so it wouldn't shock me if it happened. But I think the NFLPA and the actual players are going to say "fuck you." So I guess then what I want to post to you is this: Do you, I don't think this will happen, but it is a theory I want to throw out there. Do you think that the NFL expands to another team or two to thirty-four teams potentially? And have one in London where they already have a foothold. It's definitely a possibility. Because if they did one in London, they have the perfect name for it, the Monarchs. Yeah. But I think that is a possibility where you just have like two expansion teams go into London or even just one. And as long as you keep it even numbered... You could have one, one in the count as an AFC and one count as an NFC team. Now, what actual division they go into, that's the hard part. But that's for the actual NFL to figure out, not for us. Screw it. But, the AFC gets the London and the NFC, screw it. Let's put a team in Montana. <laughs> nah, fuck it. Give Hawaii a team. I mean, the players Hawaii. have... I say the players have been upset that the Pro Bowl got moved to Orlando over Hawaii because now there's no reason to really go unless you're competing in it. But, Jake, let's move on to our official Super Bowl picks, predictions. Who do you have in this game, Niners or Chiefs? I think the Niners are going to play with just a little more fire because they want to freaking actually win one. This team went against the Chiefs in 2020 and lost. And I said this to you before, I don't know if I said it in the podcast, but I think Kyle Shanahan is getting sick and tired of being the bridesmaid and not the bride. He wants his fucking ring, damn it. So you're taking the 49ers? Yes. Yes. 
I'm going to take them, but winning by either a field goal or maybe a full touchdown, but no more than a full touchdown. What do you think the score is going to be? 24-21. Okay. Jake, this game, I said last week that my early prediction was going to be the Chiefs. And to be honest, I've been thinking about it more and more, and it really breaks down to this. With the Chiefs, I'm getting the better quarterback, the better head coach, and play designer. I'm sorry, he's better than Kyle Shanahan Niners fans. Andy Reid is better. I'm getting the better kicker. I'm getting the better defense. And I'm getting the better defense with less big names. I look at the 49ers, Jake, as that sort of... They, they're they the brand name defense. Whereas the Chiefs... I mean, they're a lot of their players, they're not overly well-known. So you could argue they're like Kirkland brand. But I'm going to say this right now. Kirkland brand's pretty damn good. Especially their chicken. That's a different story for a different day. I am taking the Chiefs because when I look, think about when I think about the 49ers, they are coming in with all of the pressure. Not so much on Purdy, but on Kyle Shanahan. And I think that Kyle Shanahan, we've seen him get tight as an offensive coordinator with the Falcons. We've seen him get tight with the 49ers against Mahomes with Jimmy G. And I think what I worry about with Kyle Shanahan, Jake, is when you lose two games that you've had one, you've had double digit leads in both games and you lose. If the game is close heading into it, even if they're up by 10, you can't tell me that it's not going to creep in his head. If the chiefs get a field goal or a touchdown, and they cut it to within three or seven. You can't tell me he's not going to get a little tight. And I think that though the Niners are going to commit to the run game and take advantage of this Chiefs rush defense, the Chiefs are going to be able to do the exact same thing to the 49ers. I'm expecting a heavy dose of Isaiah Pacheco. And I'm also going to expect Rasheed Rice to step up. I think they're going to target Diamador Lenore, who I mentioned last week is the weakest link on this Niners defense. I think that we're going to see Rasheed Rice versus Diamador Lenore a lot. I think Rasheed Rice could have a pretty big day and Kelsey is just too consistent. I'm taking the Chiefs. I'm going to stick with the score though, 27-20. I think that it's going to be a lower scoring game total. I think we're both hitting the under and I just, I I've bet against the chiefs too much to not at least buy in for one game with Mahomes. And I totally understand where you're coming from. It's like, I always have told you when, even when you were betting against him and we both were, I always said that, I don't feel good betting against him in any scenario because he is literally him and Andy Reid are the new Belichick and the new Brady. You have two guys that you don't bet against, especially in big games, whether it be a playoff or a Super Bowl. So it's kind of like have fun and do what you need to do. But I have I want to I have a quick question for you. What position group? are you going to be paying attention to the most, whether it be on the Chiefs or the 49ers? To me, I'm going to be mainly keeping an eye on that 49ers secondary because, Jake, we both like Charverius Ward, former Chief. He has played well. I mean, he he can be had. I mean, <laughs> Jordan Love had his way with this 49ers secondary. And Jared Goff, for the most part, he played pretty damn well against it, too. Mahomes is better than both of those quarterbacks. And oh, yeah. when I look at Mahomes, I think he's going to go into this game early on and figure out this is going to be a run game or this is going to be a pass game. And I think that if it ends up being a pass game, I just don't trust the 49ers secondary against 
quarterbacks that we like. It's Jordan Love, Jake. I told you, I liked Jordan Love. I didn't believe in him. I bought in second half of the season. I thought that they should have won that game. And you think about young players with them, torched them. You think about with Jared Goff, Amon Ross St. Brown's young. Sam Laporta's a rookie. If Josh Reynolds makes two catches, the, the Niners aren't even going to make it. I think that Mahomes with Kelsey and with Rasheed Rice, I'm not going to say that other wide receiver's name because, to be honest, he's lost his mind and he, he's dropped more brain cells than balls this year. But I would also keep an eye on this, Jake. Just, just if you wanted a fun little prop bet, I would throw out over Marquez Valdez-Scantling's total on receiving. I think it's like 20 or 21. I would just go over on it because of the fact that he's he all it takes is one catch and he has been good for big 30 yard catches throughout this postseason. I'm just saying if he gets matched up against one of those corners, if he gets matched up against Ambry Thomas, Jake, Mahomes is going to look for him. And I think when you think about that, you have one corner you can trust in Charvarius Ward. I do not have any faith in Ambry Thomas or Diamador Lenore. I'm curious if they'll prove me wrong, but I just can't trust them. And so that's going to be the position group I'm going to keep an eye on. Okay, so for my positional group, I'm going to keep keeping on. I'm going to do both sides on this. I'm going to say the linebacker core for both the Chiefs and the 49ers. I like it. Because... The Chiefs linebacker core held a injured Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely to like four catches and 35 yards. But Kittle's a different beast. He led the league for tight ends in receiving yards and he only beat Kelsey by like 30 or 40 yards if I remember right. So you have the number one and number two tight ends for yardage coming into the Super Bowl, and both linebacking cores, you know, I wouldn't call the linebacker core for the Chiefs elite, but very good. You have linebackers that I can name off with Leo Chanel, very good run stopper and pass rusher for for situational ball. Willie Gay, and Nick Bolton are very good. Uh, well, they're very good at stopping the pass, and they're very good at stopping the run. And they're sideline to sideline. Yeah, they're sideline to sideline. They're field generals in the truest sense, and especially Nick Bolton. And then you go to the Niners. You have Dre Greenlaw, who's one of the best pa- outside, who's one of the best outside linebackers in coverage. And you have the new Luke Keekley pretty much, and Fred Warner. The guy literally it, it get the 49ers can do so much on defense that if they didn't have Fred Warner, they wouldn't be able to do because of how much he does. He plays the run. He plays the pass. He does court QB spies, quarterback contain drills. He literally does everything you want a middle linebacker to do. And like I said, he is the new, he is this generation's Luke Keekly. Now, whether he has a career Luke Keekly does, different scenario. But if you look at football IQ and situational football, he reminds me of Keekly in almost every regard. Oh, absolutely. And Jake, I have a fun little. little... I, I have a fun little bet for you. All right. Do you think, who do you think is going to have a better day at tight end with the matchups they're going to be going up against? You mentioned the linebacking cores, Kittle or Kelsey, because I think the biggest thing it's going to come down to in one-on-one situations, I'm not going to be, I would not be putting one of the Chiefs linebackers on George Kittle. 
I'd be putting Justin Reed on there. Now, for the 49ers, if they had Talanoa Hufunga, he would be your Kelsey guy. I think it's going to be Fred Warner mainly. Who do you, oh, yeah, but who do you think Warner. is going to have a better day between the tight ends? Because that could be the deciding factor of this game. I think Kelsey, because I think Kelsey's going to get more opportunities. Because when you think about it, Kittle is a two-way tight end. He is one of the most solid blockers in the league as a tight end and one of the best receiving options at tight end. Kelsey is more of a chip blocker. He'll hit you on the way onto his route, but he's not going to be a pure run blocker or pass blocker like Kittle can be if whether you need to max protect for Purdy because you know a blitz is coming or you literally just need to have an additional blocker in there to stop either Karloftis or Chris Jones wrecking shit. So <laughs> I think it's going to be Kelsey just because he's going to have more opportunities. I absolutely agree with that, especially since Jake, I think that Kittle is going to get more looks in play action because I do think that the 49ers are going to be able to run the ball at least somewhat effectively. And so I think that's where he'll find his opportunities, either running routes or throw a block and then leak out Purdy finds him. But I do think that Kelsey's going to get more looks, especially since Jake, we have to remember Kelsey. It has been widely reported that Kelsey basically runs his own routes. They just tell him start finish. And then he just finds his own way to get there. That's why he's such a matchup nightmare because I don't even think he knows where he's going to go. He just knows where the final destination is. And so exactly with that, it's going to be very, very difficult. But Jake, the final scores again, you have the Niners 24, 21. I have the chiefs 27, 20 and Jake, we're going to have to see. I I don't know what your record is in this postseason. I do know in the divisional, you went one and three. I went two and two. I went oh for this past one. And I believe, believe you went one and one because you had the Ravens, but you also had the 49ers. But I yeah. do know that I'm sitting eight and four right now. I don't know what you're sitting. I believe you're sitting. I went four. I went four and two in the wild card. Uh, one and three. So five and, and five. Three. So you're yep. sitting six and, and six. Yeah, so I'm still five hundred. So you're at five hundred. I'm at eight and four. I'm curious as to see wh where we're going to end up because we are going to head to head in this. And I will say this: I do love our head to head. Uh, picks but Jake before we wrap things up any final thoughts just overall on the NFL season because this is going to be the last game that we have Jake until September uh, I can kind of report that the scouting combine is coming up at the, close to the end of the month so we're going to be talking about that a little bit and once the offseason hits we have a full schedule list of programs we're going to be talking about we're going to be doing a lot of surprise stuff, some other stuff that we're still working out and how to do it, but we're still going to do one episode a week, maybe even two if any big news drops because when free, free agency hits, if a big trade happens or multiple trades happen, we could definitely have multiple episodes in a week, so look forward to that. Absolutely, especially because I think that there are going to be big moves this offseason, and Jake, I think looking back at this sort of season as a whole, it's kind of weird to think that you look at how the chiefs started the year. And I will say this, the other, I picked Ravens lions for a super bowl two weeks ago, but if the chiefs had won and the lions had won, I would have thought it would have been very poetic that the chiefs and the lions started the year and finished the year with the first and last games kind of would have loved that. But I think looking back the amount of injuries that we had this year, I felt like was more than we had ever had, at least with star players. I know we've had 
years where there have been a lot of missing players. But to think early on, the players that we were missing, we lost Aaron Rodgers four snaps into week one. We lost Nick Chubb in week two. Deshaun Watson goes down. Joe Burrow goes down. Herbert goes down. Daniel Jones goes down. It was just really interesting to see how many players were either getting banged up or were out for the year, especially big names. And so I do think that I'm curious to see what we'll have coming back in seven months. Will there be this many injuries again? There's always going to be injuries. It's football. It's a collision sport. I just, I'm just very shocked by looking back all of the injuries that happened. I'm curious if it's going to be a trend moving forward. I hope it isn't for not only the player's health, but for just them overall and for the good of overall the sport. Not to mention, I don't think you and I would really like to talk about Tommy DeVito or Dorian Thompson Robinson or PJ Walker. (laughs) I don't think we want to talk about those guys anymore. But, I mean, it's just crazy to think that this is going to be the last game of the season. But let's hope it's going to be a good one. Thank you all for listening to this version, or I guess this edition of Run Past the Brain Cell. Make sure to check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow so you never miss an episode. And for Jake Miller, I'm Adam Skirko. We'll see you next time. Take care. Take it easy.